This episode is brought to you by Horizon Books, serving Seattle's book-loving community for 48 years with one of the best collections of used books in the region. Check out Horizon Books in Capitol Hill today and mention UpZones at the register for a 10% discount today, tomorrow, and for the rest of 2018. Our sponsor is Horizon Books, and this is UpZones. You have to elect yourself, Jamie. Things are changing. Things are changing. You can't say it, but you know it's true. You elect yourself. Things are changing. You elect yourself. You elect yourself. Early last week, the King County Council took a major step toward making our public transit system in the Seattle region affordable for everyone. The county council voted to take steps to implement a low or no-cost transit system for Metro's lowest income passengers uh, with the goal of having this new program in place by 2020. Uh, Next year, in 2019, as they try to implement and will first design the program, I think a lot of folks who listen to this podcast will want to have a hand in that. That's where today's guest comes in. Katie Wilson who's head of the Seattle Transit Riders Union and has been so since its founding several years ago, spoke with me at great length about the opportunity that we have here in this city and in this region on the whole to make change, to make to take solid action and move the, the city into the future by dint of the organizing that we do here around key issues, whether that's housing, density, transportation, zoning, highway policy, you name it, we have an opportunity. And you see these little things, a lot of uh, nits to pick with both the city council and the county council budgets for 2019. I'll be the first to say I have a real objection to some of the policies being pursued in this city. But it's always great when you have an opportunity to realize concrete change. And uh, I think Katie would agree. We had a great conversation not only about transit in Seattle, which is really just one small part of a larger puzzle involving housing, density, uh, zoning rules, etc. But really what it means to organize in the early 21st century here. What does it mean to leverage your power as a citizen? And how does how do we help the least fortunate among us while creating very broad coalition with all workers and all residents and all citizens um, across the county for the changes that we want to see? So she's she's a really interesting conversation. I uh, I enjoy having uh, new folks on that I that I haven't necessarily spoken with before, uh, especially one who's just shaping the policy perspectives that we're taking as a city. So I hope you enjoy, Katie Wilson. Thanks for I, I appreciate you making the time, sure, especially pretty pleasure. pretty rapidly too. Oh, <laughs> I guess I, I I think that I get back to people fast because I don't know. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's no, just like a thing. <laughs> well, you know, ninety percent of life is just showing up. Right? Yeah, exactly. That's, that's yeah, how you do it. That's right. I think Carrie recommended that, that okay. we reach out to you. Cool. And uh, hers was one of the most listened to episodes we've had. So, I, I bet. Yeah. 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 Very well liked person. Yeah. yeah. Kind of like. Uh, this this weird combination, not weird in a bad way, but this unusual combination of like 
sort of likable, but not in a weird saccharine way where you're just like, oh, come on, please. People just like her. I just mm-hmm. liked her. I left the interview like, wow, she's kind of nice. You know. Yeah, she's great. And she's then great. The, the track record as well. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah we're... we're uh working together on the Mercer Mercer stuff. Yeah. Well, stuff. well, tell me about that because I mean she and I talked about that a little bit, but um, <clears throat> you know, where are you coming at in terms especially in terms of the fact that it's looking maybe not quite as good? Yeah, I mean, we you know, in retrospect, I wish that we had had the the foresight and the capacity to jump on it a lot earlier. A little earlier, yeah. Um, cuz it really was sort of late in the game and, you know, the city's already borrowed a bunch of money against sell, you know, the the anticipated sale. Is that and, is that true? Yeah. Let's see what do you what do you know? I didn't know that. Yeah, uh, I mean, th- there's still there's still potential. I think that the biggest obstacle is not. I mean, the big, biggest obstacle is money in the sense that um, even if we were to the city were to be like, okay, we're keeping this land in public hands, we're gonna just develop it publicly for the public use. Um, there's just so little money to build stuff right now. So yeah. it's like you've got all these affordable housing developers that have plots around the city and they, they want to build stuff there and there's not enough funding. Um, and Interesting. Yeah, so it's like having another big plot of land would be great, but more than that, we need the money to actually build housing there. And also, it's it's zoned for twenty stories. And once you get above, I think it's five stories, the construction steel, change, yeah, steel, steel versus right? wood, yeah. And yeah. Um, so it's it's particularly hard to make it affordable housing pencil out for for high rise construction. Um, right. And you know, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean it's impossible, especially if you're getting the land for free. But in this particular case, it's just yeah, there's just not. I mean, we tried to raise some money for affordable housing. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Um, yeah. so, so that, that sets up this sort of division where you have affordable housing developers and providers who actually maybe have an interest in the parcel being sold because then the money from the sale could be used to develop their projects elsewhere in the city. Yeah. From the, from the trust fund or whatever, right. That, what do you call it? The, the, the kitty that they have to pay into if they develop luxury housing, right? Well, there's that, the MHA money, but then there's just, if they, if they're selling it, then whatever they get for selling it could go to affordable housing. Could go to affordable housing. Oh, I see. And the city has basically committed to whatever money's left over after they pay back debts, um, goes to affordable affordable housing. housing. So that's great. That's a buy-in. That's great. But it just, yeah. What brought you to this? How long you've been doing this? To, 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 are we, are we recording now? Oh, we're doing, we're we're through. Yeah, we're (laughs) in. We've been going. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, how far back do you want me to go? The the Transit Riders Union or, or, or just sort of, uh, organizing an act? Where'd you grow up? Um, so I grew up uh, in upstate New York. I'm a New Yorker myself. Um, are, are you I mean, born? I'm in Seattle at this point, years now, but... Well, me too. But born, born and raised, New York. In New York City, uh, yeah. Inside and just outside. Okay, so I grew up in Binghamton. Okay, yeah. Which you probably know of, but didn't spend much time in. Uh, SUNY yeah. campus is there. And that's where my parents teach, actually, And my so. high school girlfriend went to Binghamton, so. Oh, really? Binghamton High School? Uh, no, oh, college later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so... Uh, one ill-fated trip to Binghamton I have under my, under my cap. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> well, I had many ill-fated years in Binghamton. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a fine place. Um, and But, you know, that whole upstate New York, it's, it's a lot of, like, sort of dying industrial towns. And, man, I just think about, like, the house that I grew up in and, you know, the 
$80,000 or whatever my parents paid for it. Yeah. It's probably depreciated in yeah, value. Right, like right. If, if you were to right. transport that plot in right. that house here, golly. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, so I grew up in upstate New York and uh, moved to Seattle in 2004. So I've been here for been here for a lot of the big changes that have taken place. Yeah, that's, a, that's about the, the time. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, right on. And, and what brought you here? So my partner, Scott, and I, and, and we're both involved in the Transit Riders Union and organizing. So partners in every respect. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We spend a lot of time together. That's good. Cool. Um, um, but we moved out here together. Okay. Um, and not not for any particular reason. We, we spent a couple months traveling around the country on the Greyhound bus. We got like yeah. two-month bus passes. Get the passes, yeah. Sounds way more romantic than it was. It was horrible. Right. Uh, especially we didn't have a lot of money, so we couldn't like stay at hotels, hostels. So we were timing our bus trips so that we could sleep on the bus. Oh, that's rough. Um, it was really That's rough. not good sleep. No, it was horrible. And you get that thing. I don't know, because I used to work in the uh, federal government and would travel. Would Not that I would per se travel a lot, but I would go through a two or three week stretch where I was in six places, right? And your your butt starts to hurt. Mm. You get this weird like, I can't be sitting anymore. But then there you are. There's four yeah. more hours to the flight or whatever it is. Yeah. And, and this is all the sleep you're gonna get. Yeah. Th- and this is all the sleep. You're like you're, you're cranky. Your butt hurts. Yeah. Which is not a comfortable position to be in. Well, and also you know we were young and we didn't know that earplugs existed. Mm. So in retrospect, we should have been wearing earplugs every night and we weren't. Right. And uh, it was pretty bad. So. Oh four. That's probably when they first started to have the true sound canceling. It's probably maybe another year or two before they actually probably mm. got those. Yeah. You know, you invest... I was just thinking the foam kind. The foam would, kind. would have been helpful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is a low-cost operation, people. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, so we, we traveled around, visited a bunch of cities, and uh, just spent a few days in Seattle. Just really liked it. Yeah, and... I felt a kinship. That's what That was my experience, too. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's just a, a beautiful city. And actually, you know, a, an interestingly large factor in, in our choice to move here was... Um, we knew that we wanted, both of us were committed, interested in organizing. We know we wanted to somehow like jump in and change things, you know, make mm-hmm. the world a better place. Mm-hmm. And we didn't really know how to get started, but we knew we needed to study. And um, the University of Washington library is a really good library. And uh, you can, for like a hundred bucks a year, um, get full borrowing privileges, use the library. And so that was actually a pretty, wow. pretty uh, big factor in deciding to move here because we looked at some other cities where, you know, it was prohibitively expensive. If you weren't like a student or yeah. whatever at the university, you couldn't What a use cool the little thing that I didn't know anything yeah, about. Yeah, hundred bucks yeah. a year, friend of the library. And you, and you get in and you, you know, you probably have access to a ton of like JSTOR stuff and, you know. All yeah, I think, I think our electronic access is limited, but lots of books. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Well, that's great. So you've been here, I mean, gosh, like decade and a half now mm-hmm. almost, and you've see, probably seen a lot of the changes. It, you know, we are growing by population when there's no extra space, though. Uh, and densification has proven to maybe be a little bit more of a challenge than one would think. Yeah. Uh, a lot of resistance to that. I'm sure there's a lot of resistance to what you're doing, too. I mean, beyond the megablock, just like trans riders reunion generally. How do you deal with the, the reconciliation of, like, this is a progressive place, this is a mm-hmm. place where change is possible, this is an incredibly traditional place, this is a place where people actively stifle change? I mean, how, how do you deal with that in your day-to-day life? I mean, it's hard, and I think, you know, the campaign that we were deeply involved in this year um, was the big business tax AKA head 16, tax. Oh, oh <laughs> no. my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, if you're talking about sort of progressive Seattle 
showing some true colors. <laughs> we got some of that in that in that campaign. And yeah, I mean, I think, golly, the question is, how do I deal with that kind of contrast between the public face of Seattle as this progressive city yeah, yeah. and then the difficulty of getting stuff done? I mean, I think that so so one one way that contrast plays out is just our tax system, right? And we've done a lot of work on trying to move our extremely regressive tax system in a more progressive direction. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we have this really progressive city, but, you know, Seattle has the most regressive tax system of any city in Washington state, which has the most regressive tax system of any state the in the country, country. right? Yeah. And so that means that we're um, taxing poor people and, and middle-income people at rates way higher than we're taxing taxing the wealthy. Right. Um, and, and that's, frankly, part of why a company like Amazon wants to set up shop here, right? Because you think about it, and they've got all these high-salaried employees, it's almost like... Um, well, it's extra know, money. It's like a publicly funded bonus that you get yeah. every year, right? Because yeah. you're not paying state and local income taxes. Yeah. And so that's that's one place where that kind of contrast comes out. And I think that I think that among the the population, there's a lot of support for for tax reform, but there's just really powerful and wealthy interests that don't want that to happen. Um, And they have a lot of power in the state legislature and they have a lot of power, as we just saw with Initiative 1631, they have a lot of power when it comes to bankrolling, you know, for or against ballot measures. Um, And it just, um, we got a lot of organizing to do before we can go up against those kind of forces. It hasn't been a great year for, for, uh, um, you know, revenue. Uh, this right. How neutral can you make it? Revenue, like there's no taxes, yeah. whatever. I mean, we this this state and the city need revenue to yep. to drive, to support the growth. And that's really like the the city and the county are in the middle of their annual budget process right now. Right, and that's playing out very much there. The, the pinch, you mean? Yeah, the pinch. Yeah. I mean, there's we're all just sort of fighting over crumbs, and there's no meaningful effort to address the affordable housing shortage. And so you have all these people, you know, complaining that the, the city's investments in solving the homelessness crisis aren't succeeding. And well, the reason is that we don't have housing. And yeah. when you don't have housing no, for no, someone, a, yeah. you know, you yeah. can't... Everything that you do to give someone case management and job training and, you know, mental health support or whatever else they need, if they're living in a tent, they're not going to be able to get their life on track. You yeah. need the housing, and we don't yeah. have that. What pushed you to this? Well, I, I, it almost sounds like your your current point of advocacy is more around uh, housing, but you've been Transit Riders Union uh, mm. leader for a while, and uh, got the, I don't want to get the title wrong, but head or co-chair, if you will, but... Um, and then, um, you know, before that evolved. And, and so I'm curious, um, kind of what, why, why those issues more so than any other issue? Yeah. I mean, I'll say that, um, I mean, I care about public transit a lot, right? I don't have a car. Mm. Um, I mean, I actually ride my bike a lot more than I take public transit, but for me, public transit is not why I got into this. I got into this because I think that we need to figure out how to organize. We need to figure out how to build power in the 21st century. Mm-hmm. And that's going to look different than it looked like in the 20th century. Yeah, for sure. And um, and I don't think that anyone, and certainly we haven't yet, figured out how to do that um, really successfully. But I, in my mind, the world's not going to change till we figure that out. And that means building democratic institutions through which people who are currently disenfranchised, um, effectively, if not literally, can... 
come together, figure out what their interests are, what what's in the the general good, and uh, and push that forward. Yeah. And so that's where I'm coming from. And I think the reason. You know, I and some of the other people who are deeply involved in the Transit Writers Union are really inspired by sort of history of the labor movement, especially. Um, like what in particular? Well, just looking how, looking at how in the in like the first half of the 20th century, the industrial union movement just really exploded and was able to win all these just immensely significant gains for working people. Oh yeah, and the, you see that in the um, I think one of the biggest judicial breakthroughs was actually the. Uh, like paper boys union and hmm. up in New York with the Hearst papers and yeah they, they they start to win these these victories. I'd actually be kind of curious on your take though on something, which is that labor unions are built around kind of necessary but largely. I'll say this. I'll take the, everything I just said back. They they have historically tended to be built around necessary but not necessarily kind of um, intellectually satisfying work. Right, the, the, a place where like you have to go. Hmm do an honest day's work, right? Um, uh, automation is cutting a lot of that work out. Mm-hmm. And it is replacing, jo- maybe not one-to-one, but, but jobs are being replaced, right? Yeah. But the jobs that are being replaced are, are by dint of uh, fetishization or by dint of true like uh, intellectual curiosity or, or, say, or w- what have you. They're actually jobs that people sort of enjoy mm-hmm. doing, right? And would do maybe for less money. Right. And so you get squeezed. What I'm getting at is you get squeezed on both ends where the incentive to organize is lower. Right. And the need for jobs where organizing has been very successful historically, those jobs are being automated out of existence. Mm -hmm. Right. So people now get pushed into either um, your Amazon work. Right. There's definitely two classes. Right. You have one with no power and one who kind of don't want to organize. How do we, so that was a big preamble to say, like, how, how do yeah. we kind of, how do you reconcile those two things and actually create, like, a, a working class that, that ranges from the really disenfranchised who are, are always at risk of automation all the way up to and including the, the coders and the PMs and the, you know, the, the, even the MBAs and what have you. How do you create that coalition given those circumstances? Yeah, and I mean, I think that that, and more broadly, just the changing nature of work in our society and just... Yeah. Um, the the incredible productivity of labor, right? If you think about like, if we actually dispensed with a lot of the unnecessary stuff that we all do, you know, back in the 50s, 60s, they were talking about how like, oh, or, you know, certain people were projecting like, oh, you know, 20 years from now, we're only going to have to work 10 hours a week. And I mean, I think in a rational society, that's probably all we'd have to do right now. Right. Um, but just the way that, that our economic and social system works, um, we're all overworked still. But I guess what, what, I'm, what, I'm, what I'm saying is that they're, like one of the problems that we are trying to figure out is, as you say, like the, the sort of traditional workplace organizing that the industrial union movement was built on is really hard today. Um, it's not... It's really hard to organize in the workplace, even in, even when there is a workplace, right? You have like global capital that like yeah, like we're seeing with Amazon, yeah. like second headquarters, right? Yeah. Like they can move a lot easier than we can. Right. Um, and so there's there's a lot of really deep challenges, and of course automation too, right? If we're just automating those jobs out of existence, then we're, what do those workers do? Um, so right. well, and even to the point where, sorry, I interrupted there, but even to clarify, like when I talk about automation, what I mean is your average boss goes, well, I'd rather have a person doing it for a number of reasons. I can interact with them better than I can with the machine. Maybe they're going to go above and beyond. Maybe there's a customer service component. Mm-hmm. But then that 
worker starts to agitate, and for the listeners, I'm using finger quotes, right? And then they want a dollar extra an hour, and all of a sudden, automation to that to that kind of capital, the automation becomes more appealing, sure. right? So it's almost like you're caught between a rock and a hard place where there yeah. is there's sort of like uh, it's never the optimal choice. Ha- having a person in a role is generally the optimal choice from a uh, a management perspective, except for when the cost gets involved. And so that's really where I'm trying to figure out how do we do that in the, mm-hmm. in the yeah. coming century? Well, I mean, what, what, what we're trying to do is figure out how we can build a structure, which is in certain respects, like a labor union, it's a membership organization. Uh, we practice democracy. We are engaged politically, um, you know, but, but is not based in a workplace. And that's not to say that workplace mm. organizing is obsolete or doesn't still need to happen, mm-hmm. but that we're trying to figure out how can we build institutions which are organizing um, on a geographic basis, like in a city or around an issue like public transit, where mm-hmm. uh, people are coming together and we're, we're using some of the same techniques of, of, of you know, building and exerting power, but but really organizing in a way more on a political basis, right? Because a lot of things we're asking for, we're not like demanding it of our boss, right? We're we're trying to get legislation through the city council or, or Well, yes, that's you. very interesting because another, um, this is just, this is great. This is really interesting to me. Another component of the concept of a labor union is about leverage, right? Yeah. If you don't pay us more, we're not going to work, right? What's Where's the leverage for a transit rider? And especially in union. Yeah, and I mean, there's there's not really the same kind of direct leverage. I mean, we always have you know members or people who come to us like, oh, we need to do a fair strike. We need, you know, and it's like, yeah. oh, it's not. Well, I don't. I mean, there are actually certain circumstances in which that might be a, a, a successful tactic. But in general, our leverage is is political. It's the fact that we can organize and we can use the democracy that mm-hmm. people have fought and died for and which is extremely imperfect but um, which at the same time like exists at a basic level yeah. um, we can uh, you know organize organize people and elect people to office who are going to do the right things and hold them accountable um, and so that's really like our I wouldn't say that we don't have other potential sources of leverage so I could imagine us doing a campaign where we are directly um, you know putting pressure on a business like Amazon or something like that, right? And there might be other ways to exert uh, pressure on on them. But primarily, we so far have worked through the the sort of legislative arena, um, city council, county council, to some extent, state. Yeah. I could imagine some sort of a takeover of the eight bus. (laughs) Just occupy every eight bus between about 4.45 and 7.30 at night. (laughs) Show those Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I mean, I, I actually, I often talk and have spoken with other guests. Like, I, I have no animus toward anyone. I mean, mm-hmm. it, like, I am a gentrifier in the sense that I came here and live in Capitol Hill now, mm-hmm. right? So I'm, I'm part of the problem. That, and so I don't think that's, mm-hmm. but I do think there's a, there's a um, empathy gap because there's an, uh, uh, an ignorance problem. Mm-hmm. People aren't experiencing everyone else's lives. Yeah. You really only can experience your own, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, it, something like a, you know, gosh, if that eight, that eight bus weren't available <laughs> for one night. Well, that's an idea. I, I think, think about that. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. Um, that's cool. So what's next for you guys? Well, um, maybe I, I first want to go back and answer the question that you asked me like oh, 15 minutes ago, yeah. which was um, how, how did we get here? Um, oh, right. And let's, let's just, just the brief the brief story. So you know, we're the Transit Riders Union, and, and that's partly because we started around the issue of bus service cuts. So you might remember um, back in 2011, King County Metro was talking about, oh, we got to cut bus service by 17% because, you know, fears into the recession, sales tax revenues. Have right. They did it plunged. with the ferries that year, too. 
Right. I mean, the state did it with the ferries. Right, Everyone right. was cutting that year. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Um, and, and some other, you know, Pierce County had huge cuts. Um, but so, so there was this big public issue around transit cuts. And so we, my partner and I, who had been, we'd been sort of wanting to jump into organizing again, had no idea how to start, um, just sort of thought, huh, maybe we should organize transit riders. And we jumped in, ran a little campaign, uh, gathered together a group of people who wanted to start a, an organization. And so that's sort of where it all started. Um, and um, we did a lot of work in it, early on in the first few years around af- affordable and accessible transit issues, mm-hmm. um, uh, did a campaign against the end of the ride-free area, which you might remember downtown. Uh, only by only by um, anecdote. I, I think I came the year after. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. That so that was like year. 2012. Yeah. yeah. Um, That's when I came. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so, we, you know, we didn't succeed in, in preventing the elimination of the ride-free area, but we did build a huge amount of momentum around just affordable public transit. Mm-hmm. And that translated into building a coalition that won the, the Orca Lift low-income fare program, which, you know, tens of thousands of people around the county now use to, to get around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've done a lot of work like that over the years. And, but that really, when, uh, so when Trump got elected, we felt like we needed to do something big. Yeah. And over the years, we had gone out to campaign for, or at least endorsed, a number of transit ballot measures, right? There was, you know, 2014, there was King County Prop 1 that failed, and then yep. Seattle Prop 1 that succeeded, and then there was the Seattle Levy and Sound yeah. Transit 3. Sound and, Transit 3, um, yeah. And so, of course, we supported those things because we support public transit, and we need a mass transit system as fast as we can get one. But it was always hard for us because the revenue is always regressive, right? So we're always raising sales tax. We're always slapping right. on car tab fees um, and, you know, property tax. And so, you know, we had to go out and tell, like, poor people, basically, like, you should vote to tax yourselves disproportionately for public transit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in 2016, or after end of 2016, we saw this sort of opportunity to do something big around the, the, the issue of taxation. Um, and so that's when we partnered with the Economic Opportunity Institute, which has been working on these tax issues for, you know, years and years, and ran the um, campaign to, to get the city the income, income tax. tax. Yeah. And, yeah. and for, for listeners, I, I'm, I'm even myself a little uh, foggy just having it's been a while now. It's it's a tax on incomes over two hundred and fifty thousand. Is that yep, right? Yeah, that's right. Or or five hundred thousand for like for couples. Yeah. So I mean, we're talking about partners in law firms, very successful Amazon. You know, maybe not executives, but like director type people. You know, you're, even your average entry uh, level Amazon MBA is not making half that. So yep. yeah, that's that's this is not like a. Uh, a gra- you know, a, a money grab from the middle class. This is a yep. a, and it, it, what what is the percentage tax? I think it's two point two five percent of every dollar over two hundred and fifty thousand. Right. Yeah. So your, your first two hundred fifty thousand is tax free. Tax free, yeah. <laughs> right? So the, <laughs> right. So it, even that is not even. I mean, it, we're we're talking about a, you know, a necessary again to the the first part of the conversation. We don't have revenue here, yeah. and we have shit we have to pay for. Yeah. That's interesting. So where does that stand right now? I believe it's in it's in court, right? Yeah, that's right. And uh, we expect by the end of this year, the state Supreme Court to decide whether they're going to take it up in direct review, which would basically 
bypass the sort of appeals court process. So King County Superior Court struck it down, which we expected. And so we believe that they, we don't know, but we believe that they will. And in that case, um, the state Supreme Court would, would hear arguments and then actually rule on the case, hopefully sometime next year. So we could know by the end of 2019 whether that holds up. Wow, that's exciting. Yeah. It's exciting to know that that's even out there as a possibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, the court's done okay lately. Yeah. They, they've had yeah. some good, they've yeah. had some smart, um, I, I had a lot of, I paid a lot of attention to the the de-escalate Washington case with mm-hmm. Tim Iman because yeah. it, it, he really basically tried to leverage this um, kind of arcane rule about how uh, you know, uh, ballot initiatives are are amended and stuff to try and throw out like really common sense law, and the court saw through it. They, they had to figure out the right way to structure it so that it didn't open the floodgates for messing with ballot initiatives in the mm-hmm. past. And I think they did a really good job of that. So hopefully they'll do the same with with tax. I hope so. Yeah, but yeah. So what is next? I mean, what what do you guys have? Let's say let's t- let's take talk about twenty nineteen for the Transit Riders Union. Yeah, I mean we're still figuring that out, and like any good organization, you have you don't have a plan until December twenty uh, seventh. Like, <laughs> I know. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I mean technically we do whatever our members want us to do. So we will be discussing over the next few months and mm. and sort of figuring out. I mean what we're doing now. So we we had the whole head tax fiasco, yeah. and. I mean, I got to say, so we had the elections a couple of days ago, yeah. and that raised a couple ideas in my mind. So one is that down in San Francisco, they passed a big business tax to fund housing and homeless, homeless services. Mm-hmm. $300 million a year. That's real money. Um, now, it helped that they had the CEO of a major tech co- corporation supporting them and giving favor. them, not yeah. just coming out in favor, but actually gave $7 million to the campaign. Whoa. So, so yeah, if we could get one of those, that would help us out here. Um, but, uh, you know, well, I... Doesn't, isn't the head of Redfin, like, real big advocate for... Uh, for wasn't he in favor of the head tax? No, he wasn't. He wasn't. Oh. Um, he What's had his name? Glenn something. I yeah, don't know. I I'm remember typing it now. He Cl- was, Kelman, Glenn Kelman. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. he he was against the head tax, but oh. he had a much more nuanced view oh. than the rest of the. I hate the phrase business community. Hmm. The rest of the business class. Yeah. They um, he he came out and he was much more like. I mean, first of all, he's he 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 thinks that he basically said I would support new taxes if we can tackle the getting rid of single-family zoning stuff. And he was, I think he would be in favor of, a, of an income tax, uh, mm. cor- corporate and or individual income mm-hmm. tax mm-hmm. on high Higher income. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I don't know if he could be persuaded to support some version <clears throat> of a big business tax. Yeah. Perhaps, maybe it's worth talking to him. But but yeah, I mean, so that gets me thinking about what's possible in Seattle. Not 2019, that's a bad year, I think, to, to run an in- initiative like that with the city council races and the head tax is sort of fresh, but... Well, I think their their fear of the electorate is, is um, especially in part of who could raise money for their opponents, let's say, was a big part in, in my understanding of why oh, yeah. they turn, overturned the tax yeah. so rapidly with so yeah. little public comment. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, so, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about, like, when's the next time we can take on Amazon, definitely. <laughs> um, and another thing, of course, is that, very unfortunately, Initiative 1631 failed, 
with, you know, $30 million from the oil industry yeah. against it. Um, but, yeah. you know, what that makes me think, I mean, I th I'm hoping that people are thinking about what could be accomplished through the state legislature on, on climate stuff, since we have some new, good, right. pro more progressive legislators. But what that also makes me think about is what, what should Seattle do now, right? Mm. So if this <clears> statewide, <throat> statewide climate measure failed, it seems to me that Seattle's got an obligation to really step up and think big on climate yeah. um, and do everything we can. And of course, a good part of our carbon emissions come from transportation. So that means really rapidly trying to move to a transit, bike, pedestrian, mm -hmm. multimodal infrastructure kind of situation where people don't have to drive everywhere. So we, over the last couple months, have started convening a coalition called Move All Seattle Sustainably Mass. Uh, yeah, right? I've heard all about Mass. And yeah. uh, so, uh, which is going great so far. And we're going to be definitely doing that throughout next year. And we're still figuring out what exactly that looks like. But, you know, starting January 11th, I think the viaduct closes downtown. Yeah. And so uh, that kicks off the, the period of maximum, maximum constraint, constraint yes. PMAX, or, or yeah. is that what we're calling it now? Yeah. And so I think that that's obviously a challenge, but also sort of an opportunity to, to kickstart some of this stuff. Yeah. How can someone get involved? In that particularly? No, just yeah. with the Transit Riders Union. Well, join the Transit Riders Union. We are a membership organization, so you can become a member. And we have uh, monthly membership meetings, and that's where we get together and decide what we're going to do. Um, we have just yeah, lots of volunteer opportunities, etc. Mm -hmm. How do they sign up? Uh, go to our website, transitriders.org. Well, okay, that's great. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> okay. um, hey, you know, we, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, do, do, you, do you have a, uh, an answer for my question? Oh, your Which question. Is, if if you, you care about, yes, you should. Fill yeah. in the blanks. I would say, you know, if you, if you care about changing the world, join something. And of course, I'm partial. I think you should join the Transit Riders Union. But I think more than that, join something. Join, join. Well, don't join any, just anything, right? Like, don't join the NRA or something like that. Um, <laughs> well, what do you, what do you join and what don't you join? Yeah. Then? <laughs> what, what I mean is, I think that like the challenges that we face today, what we need to be doing is building institutional power. Yeah. And so it's great. Like, it's really important to be involved as an individual to vote, to you know, know what your elected officials are doing, get involved in that way. But much more than that is is becoming part of, I would say, join progressive and left wing organizations <laughs> that are trying to make change in the world. Because it's really by building those relationships and building that space where people are not getting their information from the Seattle Times editorial board and the TV news, but are rather coming together and really discussing like the issues that affect our lives, mm -hmm. educating ourselves and each other, coming together, figuring out, you know, what, what the right thing is and pushing for it together. Like that's how we make change. So yeah, join I, something. I couldn't agree more. It, it's so much easier to burn it down than to rebuild it, but the rebuilding is what we need right now. Yeah. Yeah. Katie, thank you so much for being on the show. My pleasure. Thank you. Come back anytime. <laughs> Great. That was Transit Riders Union General Secretary Katie Wilson. Check out the Transit Riders Union at transitriders.org. If you're interested, they're having a fall happy hour fundraiser this week, this Thursday, from 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. at the Flatiron School on 4th Ave in Seattle. As always, all music by the Subcons, dope opening poetry sample by Anthony McPherson, sound by Naboo. This has been a Cascadia Underground production. My favorite. I'm your host, Ian Martinez. We'll see you next week.